So we're in a series called Revitalize. And um, especially after the last two years, when life kind of shut down in a big way for many of us, and routines changed, life changed, and we grew okay often with disengagement, right? As me and Pat and Mike prayed through this series, we said, what is essential? Like, what at all costs can we not forsake, right? If there is another pandemic tomorrow, God willing, we don't have that, right? God willing, it's over. We'll continue to move forward. But what can we not stop doing together? Because it would cost us our very souls, our life. And so God brought us to Acts 2, and today uh, we're going to look at specifically how they were devoted to prayer and what that means, why that matters for us to have a vital and full and abundant life. All right, so would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. I mean, we just prayed it. We sang it at least. We want to follow you anywhere. Whatever it costs us, Lord, Wherever you lead us, we want to say yes to you. Now, that is so difficult, and we admit that. And we admit that we are weak to follow you. But Jesus, it's worth it. You're worth it. And the life that you offer is abundant and good. And where you lead us is always life. So we look to you. Uh, We want to follow you. Have your way in your church this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 42 through 47. And this is what it says. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Some of you just got Bibles, which is awesome. Wasn't that awesome? Man, families, yes. I love our family ministry and what God's doing through you guys. It's awesome. Okay, Acts 2. It's towards the right. It's in the New Testament, right after the Gospels. And we're going to start in verse 42. If you don't have a Bible with you, it should be on the screen. And it says this. And this is about the first church. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing (coughs) the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Now, it's important to understand that when we look at this passage, these people are ordinary people like you and I. They're normal people whose life have been radically changed and reshaped by coming to faith in Jesus. Pentecost happens, the Spirit is poured out, and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. And it literally transforms their life. They have a community here where they belong, so much so that they're like inseparable and of one mind, right? Like everyone thinks along the same way. And it's probably not because they have the same preferences, but probably because they're focused on the most important things. They have the same mind. Everyone is included. 
They are experiencing the reality of God's power, his purpose, his presence. Miracles are happening, right? Their homes are being changed. And it's just like incredible. God is at work and, and they're just like, their lives are changed. And I want you to see there are normal people like you and I. They still have jobs. They have responsibilities. They have families. But their lives are oriented around Jesus, around his purposes, around his will, around his person. And they have sacrificed some things to pursue Jesus at all costs. And they, if they were here today, they would tell you that it's completely worth it. Whatever their life was like before Pentecost, after Pentecost is better. With Jesus, with his people, in God's purpose is better. Now, I think that many of us, um, we see the early church and we say, yes, I want more of that. I want to understand how I belong in God's family. I want to experience the reality of God's work in my relationships, in my home, with my friends, with my community. I want to see God do amazing things in this world because I know he's invited me to be a part of it. We want that, right? And then I also think that when we read this passage, um, a lot of us go, but I can't meet at what day, every day? Did you say they meet together every day? Like that sounds kind of ridiculous, right? And all the introverts, all the introverts in the room, can you just let go, just let out a big sigh, like, it's okay, all right? I'm not gonna ask you to come to my house every day from here on out for a prayer meeting. In fact, when my smogger was talking about this, many of them were like, this sounds terrible to me, actually. The, the God parts sound good, but the being with people every day, that sounds so hard. How can I even ever begin to arrange my schedule? This is what I know. They were devoted to prayer. And because they were devoted to prayer, they saw God do amazing things and they got to participate in it. And we as a church, at this moment, we need to figure out together, how do we continue to be devoted to prayer? It's not gonna look the same, guys. But what does it look like? It is good. Now, um, my grandparents had when they went to church, they had like weekly prayer meetings. How many of you remember those were part of a church for that? You got to, and literally, they just got together to pray. Or, and my parents um, were part of adult Bible fellowships uh, and Bible studies, and they prayed with people in, in their homes. But here at church, especially after the service, there was like these big communities that would gather together, and in those communities, they would pray. How many, how many of you remember that, right? And some of us are in small groups, and, and we, we pray in our families. But our generation, we have to figure out what does it look like for us to be devoted to prayer. So what can we learn from this, this community? Do you mind if I point out some things? You guys with me? Yeah, okay. So Jesus takes ordinary people. If you, if you like to write notes, you can write these down. He takes ordinary, ordinary people and he gives them extraordinary purpose. Ordinary people, he gives them extraordinary purpose. Turn to Acts, just one, chapter one, just a few chapters before. Verse eight. Verse eight. 
It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gives ordinary people extraordinary purpose. He calls the disciples this 120. It says it's a group of 120. And he gives them a mission. He says, you are going to be um, my message bringers. You're going to take the message, the, the truth of who I am. How far, guys? Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Okay, um, can I remind you that there's no internet? There's no airplanes? There's no cars yet? Right? And these weren't people of great influence. Right? These were fishermen and followers of Jesus. They weren't like high in social standing, most of them. This mission is actually ridiculous. I would say it's impossible. And see, that's the point. It says, right after this, by the way, Jesus ascends to heaven, and it says they went to the upper room where they prayed constantly. And you gotta feel, when you have an impossible mission, an impossible task, and you feel that, what do you do? You pray. And so th- these, this community prayed in direct response to the impossible task that God had given them. And I wonder, when we think about following Jesus in our own lives, when we think about what he wants to do with us and through us, have we considered just how infinitely impossible it is Because if we did, it would drive us to pray, right? So I want to remind you this morning, you are a witness for Jesus. We are his witnesses. Can we say that together? We are his witnesses. One more time. We are his witnesses. That's the task that God has given you. He, the God of the universe has invited you into his plan to redeem the world. Extraordinary purpose. Now, if it was just me... I would be a little bit overwhelmed. And then right away I'd be like, okay, guys, let's get to task. We're gonna make a to-do list. We're gonna manage this. There's a lot to get done, right? I would just go for it. Maybe you're like that. But I, I don't want us to understand what were they feeling. And uh, Jesus takes extraordinary people, he gives them extraordinary purpose, but he also gives them extraordinary joy. Turn to Luke, uh, Luke 24. Luke is the writer of Acts, by the way. He wrote both books. And if you go to the end of his gospel, he kind of ends where where he starts in Acts. Verse 50, Luke 24, 50. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. He spent time with his disciples. Immediately before his ascension, This is what it says. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, was carried up into heaven. And what did they do? They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, joy is a gift, right? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But this joy is immediately tied to the blessing and mission that Jesus has given his disciples. 
the last things that he says to them is, is why they're overcome with joy. God has included us in his mission. Can you imagine that? Jesus, I've always seen it, like we call it the Great Commission when we look at it in Matthew. Um, but it's like a great blessing. Hey, go and make disciples. Be my witnesses is a great blessing. I love that word. Almost like it's, an, it's our birthright or our inheritance. And as Jesus leaves his disciples and they're waiting on the promise of his Holy Spirit, they're overcome with joy. They're excited about this impossible mission. 120 people tasked with bringing the gospel to the world. He takes ordinary people he gives them extraordinary purpose, fills them with extraordinary joy, and then he also gives them extraordinary freedom. Turn to Acts, back to Acts chapter one. I think when we look at this early church community, they have a freedom to not be concerned with the cares and the weights of this world. Now, it doesn't mean they're not in the world. I mean, these people have responsibilities. It's not just a hippie commune. Like, these are real people. They go to work. But in the evening, they're, and this got to impact their whole families. Can you just imagine, like, like after work, hey, you want to go grab, grab a beer like we used to? This is just definitely not, like, a biblical version of this, but my version. Right, and the, and the, you just your coworkers like, nah, that was cool, but um, I got I found something way better. In fact, you should check it out. I'm gonna go pray and hang out and like have communion with people, and worship the true God. Like it's awesome. Didn't you do that last night? Yeah, it was fantastic, and I can't I can't get enough. Right, like there's they're free not just from the cares of the world, but free to pursue the things of God. And I think it's because they've been transferred into a new kingdom, and they have a new king, and they understand that. Look at this, Acts 1, verse 3. It's, it's subtle, but I love it. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, uh, and it's talking basically about the time after his resurrection to the time he ascends into heaven and says, Jesus, to them, <coughs> to his disciples, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, Jesus has been hanging out, like risen, resurrected Jesus, has been hanging out and all he's been talking about is his kingdom. And there's a sense that they are released to live under the authority and rule of King Jesus, and they love it. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. How does that start? It says, all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. I'm king over it all. So, go. Therefore, make disciples. 
right? Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What promise there. What does that have to do with prayer, right? Well, there's a cost to organize our life around the pursuit of God. But these people are willing to pay it. In fact, they want to. And I think it's because they recognize who Jesus is, who their king is. And they can't wait to get back into his presence together again. Ordinary people, but extraordinary freedom because they have an extraordinary king. Okay. Ordinary people who also have extraordinary power. Go back to Acts 1, verse 8. We were were there a little bit. It says this. Are you guys still tracking? You with me? Okay. Um, Acts 1, verse 8. Extraordinary power. But you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's great purpose that he's given his people requires divine power, but he's also given that. And it's come through the Holy Spirit. Go forward to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, verse 1, they were all hanging out in one place together. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Just imagine this. It filled the entire house where they, were, where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, all 120. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, God gives the Holy Spirit. It shows up and you can, it's like the visible holy presence of God is made known by the Spirit, through tongues of fire. It comes, it falls on and fills his people. Excuse me. And immediately, empowered by the Spirit, what do they do? They begin to act in the Spirit. They speak in tongues. What happens is, right now in Jerusalem, there's, there's Jewish people from all the nations gathered. All different nations. It's like God has collected his people together at this moment. It's, 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 a, it's a celebration. It's a feast And they begin to hear the truth about Jesus in their own language. And we know the story, right? Peter goes on. He preaches, filled in the spirit. He preaches this amazing message. And 3,000 people come to know Christ. They put their faith in Jesus. They're baptized. They too receive the spirit. And hence we get Acts 2, 42 to 47. This church acting together. Amazing. God's power at work. Go back to Acts 2, verse 43. The bouncing around isn't that bad because it's like one page, right? (laughs) Right? I just want to remind us of this part. It says, And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I mean, like everyone in the community was in awe. When's the last time you were in awe of God? Imagine that being like a daily reality. Imagine praying and seeing God's power at work immediately. 
Like, they were just like, whoa, over and over and over again. I mean, like, this is real. God's at work in this. <laughs> they pray, and God moves. They pray, and God moves. The, sin, the Spirit of God moves when they pray. Um, in fact, like, if you, if you go forward, like, a couple chapters, like, the, the, the very next thing that happens in Acts is basically, like, I think it's Peter and John go, and they, they, they're going to, to the temple, and they heal this guy, and then they're told, like, it causes an uproar because they heal him in Jesus' name, and they're not afraid to testify to it. And this guy starts talking about it, and, and they want to shut this down. They're, they're like, you got to stop this. I don't know what you're, t- this is our faith, not, has nothing to do with Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. Simmer down, um, or we're going to, like, throw you in jail. And they, I think they were thrown in jail for a little bit. They go back, and the church, they pray together. You know what they pray? They say, God, give us boldness. God, you're sovereign over this. Their first big prayer recorded together is, God, not help us out. We feel really uncomfortable all of a sudden. We feel judged. No, it's God. Your plan is awesome. Give us boldness to continue to walk in it. See, they're praying, expecting of God to move in power. But also, they pray in the Spirit. So they've been given the Holy Spirit and the Spirit helps us pray. So you, this whole community is, is operating in the power of the Spirit. It means under divine influence. You think about when you pray. Like, and Paul tells us this, right? Jude says this. When you pray, pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Under divine help? Under divine influence. When you pray, do you sense the Holy Spirit at work in you? Right? Are you praying in step with the Spirit, in his power? That's part of why they have the Spirit, is so that they can pray. So that what they do is they pray in the power of the Spirit, and they're seeing God move in power, and it's awesome. So they see the Spirit moving. He's moving in their prayers. He's moving in their response. They see God at work. Ordinary people with extraordinary power. Ordinary people with ex- extraordinary expectations. I'm going way too long. I know, uh, yeah, well, I know what's going to happen next, so can't t- t- don't tell me I'm not. All right. Um, thank you. That was really nice, though. Thank you. All right, Acts 2.45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. And Nope. That's the wrong verse, though. I'm going to go to 2.46, and it just simply reminds us that day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. The idea is this. Their expectations, like extraordinary expectations. When they leave the temple, their expectations about God, his presence, his work, doesn't change. They don't go home and say, okay, home is the place where we do this as a family. Church is the place where we pray. Right? Their expectations, actually, at home, are the same as a church. They expect God to move. They expect God to be present. Right? Their homes are places of worship and prayer. And it's because they realize that they are the church. And so because they're there, God's there. The church isn't a building, it's his people. 
And they get, this community gets this so well. They're overwhelmed by the power of God, the Spirit of God, presence of God, and it floods into their homes. Don't we want that? I know we do. And so they expect God to work in their homes. Their homes are places of prayer. I'm going to move on. Extraordinary people. Last one, extraordinary favor. I think this one's really important. Last one, 247, Acts 247. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What does that mean? Having favor. If you knew you were part of a community that was completely for you and in every situation, you had their favor, meaning they loved you, they had your best in mind, they're acting for your good, they want to see you succeed, right? They're like family, only better <laughs> sometimes. Some of us have good families. But families aren't perfect, right? But this, imagine coming to a place where you had no fear of judgment, no fear of condemnation. Like, how could you pray about your own life without that fear? How open would you be able to be about your own brokenness and what you know God wants to do? When I was uh, an intern here at Moraine, I worked in the youth ministry. It was a long, long time ago, like 20 years ago. And um, everyone who was on staff got assigned two elders. And so I had two elders that would meet with me every like month or so to pray for an hour. And they'd be like, and I kind of just got it as like a bonus. I'm like, I, they're like, we don't really know what to do. You don't really do much around here, but we're going to pray for you anyway. Um, and I was like, that's cool. And uh, they were great guys. And I knew they loved me, and they prayed for my ministry. They prayed for the students I work with. They prayed for the things going on in my life. It took me eight months to finally open up to them about a struggle I had uh, with smoking, nicotine, right? Totally, I don't know, I was addicted to, to smoking. I know all my friends probably knew, I think, on some level, but they were just really gracious. And... I would, I would just, I was struggling to conquer it, but I was trying to do it on my own because I was ashamed of the sin. I thought, oh, I'm working at church, right? I shouldn't. Now I'm like, what really, was it that big of a deal? I don't know. Back then I was really struggled with shame and, and I didn't want people to know my mistakes and stuff and my failures. And I finally told these guys after eight months of being together. And I was scared. They're gonna be like, oh man, this is bad. They didn't. They just said, okay, can we pray for you? And they prayed for me. And they literally, I've never heard, like, I'm, they prayed for like 45 minutes about this one issue. For me, that's a long time. I was like, I've never heard anyone pray this long. And I felt fine. It wasn't like I was getting tired at all. And I, I'll tell you what, I was free from that addiction right after, immediately. That doesn't always happen, by the way, but it happened for me there. But why didn't I tell them sooner? It's because I'm afraid of judgment. Right? Can you imagine being part of a community? Church, this is how we're supposed to be with one another, where there's just grace. There's just grace and favor. And yeah, we hate sin because it destroys, right? But we don't 
hate one another. We offer one another grace and we pray for one another. James 5.16 says, like to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Favor, ordinary people with extraordinary favor. We can pray like this when we understand the supernatural favor we have as a family in Jesus. So those are some observations. Um, I want to speak to maybe a couple things of how, what, what do we do at, at, this, at this cultural moment. But Cindy, I want, I want to invite you up. Um, Cindy's going to share a little bit about um, how her small group um, experience was during the pandemic and how they were devoted to prayer and what that meant to her. Right? So I'll start here. Um, so I'm Dan Johnson, this is my wife Cindy, and we're just gonna share a couple things uh, from two years ago where um, you know, the church was in the midst of shutting down from, from COVID, and so how did our small group respond to that? And we, um, as a small group, started going into, instead of meeting twice a week, or twice a month rather, every other week, we started meeting once a week on Zoom. And uh, so Cindy's just gonna share a few things about that uh, from our group. Um, so in February of 2020, I was diagnosed with a nerve tumor right under my brain. And we didn't know exactly what that was gonna look like for treatment, and we didn't know exactly how to pray. And, um, you know, it was very symptomatic, and the pain was increasing. And we wanted it to be quick. Let's solve this quickly. And the doctors initially agreed, and then the world closed. So that was, was very difficult. But um, my church family rallied around me, and we started praying every Sunday night on Zoom. But it wasn't just about me. Every single family in the group had some real issues going on in extended family. And then, um, you know, the, the George Floyd incident happened in Minneapolis, and I'm a Minnesotan, and my family lives there, and riots started in our city and other cities, and people were getting sick. Our church body lost people, and it was difficult, but we were praying, and God was working. And, um, you know, I don't even remember how long those nights would last on Zoom because time doesn't matter when you're, when you're praying. It was, every night was a blessing. Yeah. And we were just talking the other day about some of the things we were praying about and we literally thought, Didn't, wait, that happened, right? Wasn't everybody in our room, you know, when we talked about that? And, but literally we felt like this is not on Zoom. We're, we are right there. And so it was just kind of the spirit of the Lord that was really kind of uniting us through all that time. Thank you for sharing that, guys. The point of that is we can't stop. We can't stop being about the things God has given us to be about, the most important things. And they're simple, guys. But as we walk in them, we experience the presence and the power of God. Prayer is one of those things. And we, couldn't, we can't let a pandemic stop us. Now, some of you are like, I'm so tired of Zoom, I could die before having another Zoom call again. I understand that. 
but we need to use every opportunity we can. Like we gotta figure out what it looks like in our culture at our time. For instance, I've always wanted to be a dad. Um, my wife and I got to be foster parents for eight weeks. Sorry. Um, for eight weeks uh, over December and January. And it was an answer to prayer, kind of. <laughs> it did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Um, it ended kind of tragic in a way. And uh, we... We're in the middle of some major, major intense things with our foster daughter at the time. And um, we called on our, our small group to pray, right? I, actually, there's a lot of groups that we call on to pray, groups of friends. We let them know. We sent out a text and just basic information just said, please pray. And um, you know how what praying, you know, praying hands come up? Uh, we'll be praying. And our small group offered to just do so much for us, but there was a text that came through, and it, the text itself was a prayer. And it just said this, Lord, I just said, Lord, we need your presence, power, and protection to be known and felt. And there were some prayers for our foster daughter, and then it just ended with, breathe word of, breathe word of truth into Josh and Rachel's ears and heart. Be present, Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, we were not in the same living room but we might as well then. And all they did was take the time to write out the prayer in text form. Guys, that's not a lot, right? How often do we say, I'll be praying here on Sunday to someone, but we don't take the time to actually stop and say, hey, can I pray for you right now? We can be devoted to prayer. Like it, it we need to take the small opportunities and say yes to them. Imagine you run into someone at Target and you find out they're going through something. You can pray at Target. I don't know if you knew that. You know why? It's because we're part of a different kingdom. Right? Target's not our master. <laughs> so we got to think through, how do we devote ourselves to this? Small groups, how do we give more time to prayer? As we gather, how do we think about our gatherings together differently? Lunches together, meals together, hangouts together. How do we, as believers, start to pray together? Maybe you have a group of Christian friends you've never prayed with. How about we just start saying, okay, it's going to be awkward, but can we start praying together? Like, let's make the most of the time that we have. And let's be devoted to prayer. It should be part of what it looks like to walk together all the time. Students, you do not have to wait, right, till you're older. We can do this together now. Parents, let's pray with our kids. Or let's pray for them as they run around, okay? Husbands, let's invite our wives to pray. 
Let's do it regularly. Let's start to like tear down the stigma that we can't be a people who pray together. It's not that hard. And there's no reason to perform. We all have favor with God and with one another. 